0: I wanna thank all of you who reached out by text and phone call and letter and carrier pigeon this week to remind me that today is 12, 31, 23. And put together and take out the dashes, that's one, two, three, one, two, three. You see that, right? People know that I get excited about things like this. And so they have reached out far and wide I had someone texting me this morning. You didn't forget, did you? Like I could forget. (laughs) Gosh, don't you know me? I mean, I have people that left our church. They've moved to other states. They don't remember anything I preached about, but they know I like numbers like this. And uh, I'm not a numerologist. I don't believe in mystical connections between numbers and events, but I do get entertained by quirky dates and what I call calendar trivia. Now, let me just go ahead and relieve all of you of the pressure to text me in five weeks on February 4th when it will be 2424. And don't even worry about the and drones in April. I know them all, so you don't have to remind me, okay? Just like I did on the very first Sunday of this year, which is interesting that the year started on a Sunday and the year is ending on a Sunday. And just as I did on that first Sunday of 2023, I want to challenge us on this last day of the year and three days before we start our 21-day fast with the same passage I read at the beginning. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You know, Isaiah is not the only Old Testament prophet that has given this type of call or challenge. Throughout the history of Israel, prophets of old were sharing and challenging the same thing. Like Zephaniah who said, seek the Lord, all you humble of the, Lord, of the land, who do his just commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. And Jeremiah, he, he restated the promise of such a call in seeking the Lord. He said, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Isn't that a great promise? You will call, you will come, you will pray, and I will hear. Is there anything more great than that that God could do towards us? That he would hear us, and he says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, as church folks, you'd think seeking the Lord is just part of the package, right? And don't get me wrong, it should be. We should inherently be seeking God at all times. But just like the children of Israel that we read about throughout the Old Testament, we often have mixed motives. We have double-minded pursuits and we oftentimes seek things apart from God. Even though we know we should be seeking God, we seek after other things because our hearts They're prone to wonder. Our hearts, they stray away. Our hearts, they can be evil, even though God is working to redeem them. And while we may not build altars to bales or carve little images out of wood, we are still vulnerable to the subtle form of idolatry to to having something other than God that we seek, to propping it up, an idea, a philosophy, a way of life, our own selfishness and comfort, we can have these idolatries in our life that actually are more important to us than seeking the God who gave us life. We can seek our own comfort and safety. We can... Guard our own margin and our space. We can work for our own position and wealth. Tim Keller said, An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to to give you what only God can give. So... As we begin these 21 days of prayer and fasting that will start Wednesday, I really encourage you to engage in those three weeks of seeking the Lord while he may be found, returning to him, forsaking our evil ways, the things we built up and propped up and made for ourselves idols, that we will discard those ways and that we will pursue the Lord. And so I resolve And I ask you to resolve that this season and beyond will be a season of earnestly seeking him, of seeking his presence, of desiring above all else his face, that we would see him and experience him and be changed by him and be moved by him and be used by him. Over the next four weeks, we're gonna be looking at what that looks like in the small, infinite, finite way that we can. We're gonna be unpacking and looking at what it means to seek his face earnestly, to seek and desire him. But today, I wanna just do two things, just two things. I wanna first give you a biblical definition of seeking the Lord, and secondly, I want to look at one of the greatest examples of seeking God found in the Bible. So first, the definition. The most common Hebrew word for seek is darash. And with that word used many times in the Hebrew Bible, there is an intensity associated with it. It is an active pursuit. It means to inquire about, to investigate, to dig into, to look into, to search, to frequent, to come up close, to follow, to ask, to worship, and to make supplication. All of these words help me as I start looking at what it means to seek the Lord. It gives me helpful insight in how, and how I should posture myself in, in pursuing him. But there's a related word to that Hebrew word, darash, and I think it brings even more clarity for us. It, it means to beat a path to something, to wear a path to something because you are repeatedly going there. Like that worn down carpet in your hallway that 's beat down, or that worn out driver 's seat in a car with two hundred thousand miles on it, or as this picture shows what 's called a hollowway, and it looks like it's a dugout trench, doesn't it 's a dug out trench doesn 't it it 's a path it 's a walkway, it looks like it 's been dug out. But it's actually centuries old with a path worn down by the traffic of time. Year after year, decade after decade, century after century being used over and over and over and over again. It's a holloway. Holloways look like they're man made, and they are, just not the way you might think. And most don't realize they're retracing ancient steps when they're walking down these paths, not realizing that many have gone before. When we seek the Lord, this word picture helps me. It helps me to see that it's more than just showing up sporadically. It requires more than fits and spurts. Seeking God is wearing down the path it takes to get to him. And you don't do that quickly. You don't do that by digging out a trench. You do it by consistently, regularly going on the path to seek out his face. What does your path look like? Is it the path less traveled? Or does it have wear and tear associated with it? Is there regularity to it that allows you to understand this has been traveled many times before and it will be traveled many times beyond because seeking his face is worth it, pursuing him that way. That's the way I like to see seeking the Lord, a definition of a hollow way, a a worn down, well-traveled path of regularity. But the second thing I want us to look at is probably the best example that you will find of seeking the Lord in the Bible. And it's not a thing, it's actually a person, it's a man. His name is David. He was known as a man after God's own heart, not simply because he did the right things, because he didn't always, but first because God had picked him. David was God's heart for Israel. You see, they picked a king, For themselves, they said, we want to be like the other nations and he let them do it and they picked Saul. But when that went awry and it went south, God said, I want to pick a king for you that comes from my heart. And so David was known as a man after God's own heart. And because God's heart was for Israel to pick David, then David could be a man who would always seek after him. Listen, It's always what God does for us first that enables us to respond to him second. It never comes the other way around. He always comes near to us before we can even draw near to him. That's what the incarnation is all about. That Jesus became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. David was a man after God's own heart, and he was a man who was seeking God in every stage of his life as a young boy where he was shepherding his father's sheep, as a psalmist who would, who would sing songs and write songs and play instruments, as a warrior where he would kill more Philistines than anyone else in the land. And as a king, he always sought the Lord. And he wrote about the benefits of doing so. Like in Psalm 99, 9, he says, "The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you; for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you." Hmm. And then in Psalm 34:8, we sing a song based off of that song uh, Psalm today. David writes, "Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then David takes seeking the Lord even further in Psalm 24 when he describes it as those who seek God's face. He writes in Psalm 24, three, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now, seeking the face of God is a Hebraic way of saying having access to God, to be in his presence, to be before his face. In fact, the word for presence in Hebrew is often translated as face. So when we're called to seek his face, it's his presence with us that we're longing for. We want his presence with us. We want to be with him face to face in his presence, not far off and removed, but up close and personal. Now, you might be asking, I I thought God was omnipresent. I I think we're always in his presence, right? Isn't that what that means? And in one sense, that is true. He is always present and he also promises to always be with us for those who are in Christ Jesus and to work into us and for us and to turn everything for our good. He makes those promises. But there is a sense in which God's presence is not with us always or at least we're not always aware of it. It's why the Bible repeatedly calls us to seek the Lord, to seek his presence continually, to wear down our path, to be with him, to not expect it automatically, but to pursue him, to dig into him, to to come up close to him. God's manifest, conscious, trusted presence is not our constant experience. Oh, I wished it was. I wish that every breathing moment of my life, I was in full awareness that God in his presence is with me, that I am with him. Wouldn't that change your life if you lived that way? I'm not sure why it's not that way. I know that there's going to be a day, a time, when we will always be with him and fully aware of his presence at all moments. But maybe these days we find ourselves neglectful. We, we, we give no, God, no thought to God. We, we forget. We stray. We wander off. Or maybe we don't put our trust in him And and we find what one pastor said, that he is unmanifested. That he is unperceived in our perception as the great and beautiful and valuable God that he is and that our eyes see and behold him. But David says that the generation of those who seek God's face will receive blessing They'll receive something of awareness. They'll receive a righteousness, a right relationship with him. And that the God of their salvation will always be up close and near. They will ascend and stand in the holy place. They will have clean hands and a pure heart, not living in falsehood or deceit. And all of this because they sought the Lord. They sought his face. They sought the manifest presence of God to be aware that he is always with, that he is always working. Now, David speaks of seeking God, of seeking his face throughout his writings. And many times in the Psalms, you will see that kind of language. But maybe the most striking moment to me is when we see David seeking the Lord in one of the toughest times of his life. He's the king, but there's a mutiny underway. He is forced to flee Jerusalem and his throne because his own son Absalom is trying to seize his throne. So David gathers those that are loyal to him and they flee the city And they flee into the Judean wilderness. As David and those that are with him are in that wilderness, David writes this psalm, Psalm 63. It starts, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This is one of David's lowest moments in his life. Not just that he had to run off and be in a wilderness. That makes sense. There's little water in a wilderness. There's probably not much food in a wilderness. There's all this stark surrounding that would would attribute to David's language when he is saying, my soul thirsts for you and my flesh faints for you. That seems like things that would happen in a wilderness. And that's certainly part of it. But David is also struck with the grief caused by his son's estrangement and betrayal. There's an inner wilderness in David, even as he resides in a wilderness not fit for a king. Except in my book, that's where kings go to meet with God. David did. Jesus did. David's wilderness is more than just his surroundings. It is is where his heart is. 2 Samuel 15 says David was fleeing Jerusalem because Absalom was trying this mutiny to take over the kingdom. And as he was fleeing Jerusalem, the Bible says he was weeping and he was barefoot and his head was covered. Understand the shame. Understand the grief that David is up under. He is weeping. His head is covered. He's barefoot. I don't know if that's because he had to run so quickly he couldn't get his sandals or because it's just not worth putting them on. It also says that those who were with him, they covered their heads. And as they evacuated out of Jerusalem, they were weeping with their king. To add insult to injury, as they're fleeing a man named Shimei from the household of Saul, King Saul. He comes alongside them as they're going down this particular valley. And he, he begins yelling curses at David. And he begins throwing rocks at him. The king of Israel. This man thinks, David, you're finally getting your own. David, you did so much harm to my household, which David never really did. But the assumption was that he had. And now that he's king, Shimei is cursing him and pummeling him with rocks. One of David's men says, this is not right. Let me go over there and cut his head off. How dare him speak curses against the Lord, my king. And David just in his lowest moment, says, leave him alone. Let him curse. He said, my own son seeks my life. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Let him do it. This is definitely one of David's lowest moments in his life. I don't know if you understand the weight of what's on him in this time. It's not just losing the kingdom, it's losing his son. He'd already lost a son because of this one, Absalom. He'd already had all sorts of sin and despicable things happening in his family. He'd already seen so much grief and loss. And David is agonizing in this moment. And it's in that place where he describes it is a dry and weary land with no water. And it's not just the wilderness in which he resides. It's the place where his heart finds him. Can you relate? Can you relate to your heart being in a wilderness so bleak and dry and barren that you're wondering if there even is a God? That you're crying out, wanting a fix, wanting an answer, wanting relief. Can you experience, have you experienced, will you experience that kind of wilderness? Probably. Probably. It's in this place of strife and ridicule and betrayal and uncertainty that David declares, why me, God? No. What he declares is, oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. When I read this story, I can't help but consider my own thirst for God and how it would match up to what David is speaking of. When I have some kind of need, which has never been as bad as a son betraying me and turning against me, but when I have a struggle, when I have a lack, when I have a need, when I have suffering in my life, hardship, does it make me praise God and cry out all the more for him? Does it make me declare out loud, boldly, oh God, you are my God, earnestly will I seek your face? Or am I more prone to just sit around and complain and whine about the condition I'm in? I have been desperate for the Lord on occasion. And he has certainly met me in those moments. But I'm pretty sure I don't live with the kind of thirst for God as I should. With an earnest seeking of him at all times and all places. In all circumstances. My challenge to us as a community is that in this time of seeking the Lord... That we realign what comes out of us when things are hard. That we see Him as God and not why God when things don't go our way. That we actually receive from Him because that is what's promised to those who seek God. Look how David continues Psalm 63. It's a beautiful psalm. When you realize the, the circumstances surrounding it, it's all the more amazing. David said, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David's cry to the Lord is so convicting to me. Even in one of his darkest moments, his focus is not his trouble. It is his God. His attention is not given to all that is coming against him. It is given to the steadfast love of the Lord that has upheld him. The love of the Lord, which he says is better than life itself. He's praising God. He's blessing God. He's singing hymns and songs to God, joyfully lifting up his hands, acknowledging that God has helped him and that God's right hand has upheld him. God promises these kinds of things to those who seek his face, whose path is well worn to him in times of trouble as well as times of victory. God promises things like we will be satisfied. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And God promises that we will not have lack. We read about that in Psalm 34 before. And then in Proverbs 28, 5, it says, those who seek God will have understanding. He gives us satisfaction, He provides for us, and we have no lack, and he gives to us understanding. And then we're assured by Jesus that when we do seek him, he will be found. Ask, and it will be given to you. He says, seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Perhaps, best of all, God promises revival for those who seek him. When he said in 2 Corinthians seven fourteen, if my people who were called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Listen, when we seek him, we are promised the best things in life. Satisfaction in him, no lack In our journey, for He's given us, as the prophetic word said, everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. And we're promised understanding, wisdom from on high, and we're promised that He will be found when we seek Him. It will not be an endless pursuit that never has a finding. If we seek, He will be found. And then we're promised renewal for our hearts and healing for our land. Those are the best things that we could have in this life. Such great promises for those who seek the Lord and call upon his name. So to close, that is my challenge for us today. That our seeking God would lead to well-worn paths to him where we would find our satisfaction in him and where we would find no lack in him and where we would find understanding in him and where we would find renewal in him and where we would find healing for our land in him. May that be our pursuit in this season of prayer and fasting. God help us. Amen. This is my wife, Donna. I'm gonna ask her to come and just share what's on her heart. I always love what God gives to her because there's a real prophetic tone to it, which is very, very important to us as a church family so she's going to share, and then we're going to pray for you as we're concluding.
1: The scripture that I felt like God gave me as I was leaning towards the fast was one that may be very familiar to you in Joshua 3, 5. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. I will do amazing things among you. And so I was studying that word sanctify and I was so amazed because so many of the words that you use to define Mm. seek are included in this definition. Um, So I'm gonna give you a few of them um, from from the original language. Um, To set apart, to consecrate, wholly dedicate, to keep the holy, to prepare, to prove, to proclaim, to purify, to hallow, to make clean. Mm. And I think that picture of the path that had been worn down over time, there's so much when we come to these times on our church calendar that are rhythmic but intentional. Like Will said, It's God's idea. Right. It's not a great idea we have to start the year this way. Um, That's right. That call that you are feeling in your heart to give him more, to make more room, that is him. Yes. He stirs that up. He stirs up our love and devotion for him. And whether it's a tiny flicker so much that you could ignore it or it feels like a rushing fire and you can't get out fast enough. Either way, it's him. Yes. It's the Holy Spirit, it's the Lord himself inviting you to come and dine with him. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm so full of expectation, like Will said, not just for myself and the things that I want God to take dominion over in me. Mm. But what he has for us to be free together. Um, There is more. There's more freedom. There's more purpose. There's more clarity. Yes. Really our only commitment. Is to acknowledge our neediness. Mm -hmm. And receive his goodness.
0: Yes. You know so this is what we're going to do. If you're just asking the Lord to prepare your heart, prepare you for what he will do in these coming weeks. If anything that was shared today, if the Lord has been speaking to your heart and you just sense a need that he would meet you, that he would enlarge you, he would would come and expand you. If that's you, I want us to pray for all of those that feel like they should respond to that call. Yes. So if that's you, let's just have you stand right where you are and ask the Lord to help us all.
1: Father you are holy and it's past our comprehension but you invite us into your holy presence on purpose seeing us through Jesus and doing your eternal and continuing work of transformation
0: yes God
1: But this isn't just about us getting help, and we need it. It's not just about getting relief from something that's been plaguing us in terms of of sin or, or attack from the enemy or circumstances that are trying or exhausting. This fast is about you. It's about making a habit of your presence. It's about practicing being with you without an agenda, without a list, and experiencing the fullness of you Mm -hmm. in worship, in love, not rushing out to serve but sitting with you, eating your word, and delighting Mm -hmm. to be with you. Father, I, I know that your heart is to do all the things that we are seeking, all the cleansing, the redirecting, the purifying, the changing, the setting free but we want to seek you yes we do more than we want to seek what you do that's right teach us Lord how to wait before you how to earnestly seek how when trouble comes to confess Christ first rather than our needs or our expectations Your Holy Spirit is active. You are stirring our hearts. Yes, you are. Causing us to long for something we do not yet have. Because you are so faithful. Yes. Faithful to give. Yes, you are. Thank
0: you. Lord, it is our heart to seek your face and not simply what's in your hand. To seek you and not, as Donna said, what you will do. To seek your presence and not just your benefits. We earnestly want to cry out with David, who in the darkest day of his life could say, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly will I seek your face. I thirst for you. My flesh. Faints for you. You're all we need, God. I pray in this season, Lord, that you will expand our capacity to experience you. That we won't just get the blessings of God, but we will be the blessing of God in our lives and families and marriages and community beyond Lord, I pray that the promises you have made for us would certainly be realized in our lives that we would not lack, that we would be satisfied, that we would have the assurance and understanding and renewal and healing, but mostly, Lord, that we would have you. Maybe better said, you would have us. Move, I pray. I pray for anyone here today that is further away than they would want to be, that has maybe even been going the wrong way. God, in your mercy, help them turn and return to you and receive from you
1: your love and grace.
0: In Jesus' name.